On this week's edition of New York Now, we'll unpack the latest drama with the state's congressional map, starting with the legislature striking down the districts created by an independent commission and going on to pass a version of their own. Then we'll discuss the state's approach to higher education funding and a campaign to expand tuition assistance for students. I'm Chantel Destra, and this is New York Now. Senate majority will pass legislation. I will fight like hell for you every single day, like I've always done and always will. Welcome to this week's edition of New York Now. I'm Chantel Destra. Once again, New York has a new congressional map. At the start of the week, the Democratic-controlled state legislature voted to reject the newly drawn congressional map created by the Independent Redistricting Commission. You may remember the IRC was tasked with creating new districts back in December. Last week, the body unveiled a map that offered little help to Democrats as the party vies to gain control of the House of Representatives. I think there are numerous uh, problems with the map that was sent to us that run afoul of the constitutional guidelines that uh, exist in our state constitution. Uh, most notably, uh, there are a half a dozen county cuts, places where counties were divided newly in this new map from the existing uh, districts. And political pundits and stakeholders went on to wait with bated breath to see if the legislature would advance the map. Ultimately, both chambers voted to reject it, and Republicans blasted Democrats for what they described as not respecting the work of the commission or New Yorkers. You know, I hear a lot in this House about protecting democracy and the will of the people, and the reality is the people did speak. They spoke in a constitutional amendment that they wanted to eliminate uh, this behind closed doors way of re drawing redistricting maps. And it was created the IRC with that. And uh, that was the people speaking, saying, let's change this process. Let's make it a more honest and open process. And shortly after rejecting the map, Democrats went on to produce their own, which it turns out didn't offer major changes from what was drawn by the commission and showed marginal shifts to districts. To no surprise, Democrats voted to advance their map and were even joined by some Republicans in both chambers. Governor Kathy Hochul officially signed the new maps into law on Wednesday evening. So it seems the redistricting saga for congressional districts has finally been settled. And if all goes well, these maps will be in place until 2032. To discuss the state's newest congressional map and how it all unfolded, we're joined by Bill Mahoney of Politico and David Lombardo of the Capitol Press Room. Thank you both for being here. Thank you. It's our pleasure. Now, there's a lot to get to, of course, but I wanted to start at the very top of the week. We know the Democratic legislature voted to reject the congressional map that was um, produced by the IRC. Did this come as a surprise or was the writing on the wall here? It was a bit of a surprise, at least compared to a few weeks ago. There had been a general sense in the legislature that a lot of members just wanted to end what had become a four-year redistricting process and didn't want to drag this out too much further. Mm -hmm. Um, and it seemed like they, you know, if there were reasonable lines from the commission, it seemed likely they would expect it, that they would accept it. But it seems in the end, a lot of these members wind up saying, you know what, the members who didn't want to spend too much more time focusing on it, they were willing to go along with their colleagues who wanted to keep this as an issue. And so they did wind up over the two weeks between when the commission introduced its maps and the legislature voted on it. They came out against it and voted it down. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, in hindsight, it seems like the writing was probably on the wall that there was going to be pressure from national Democrats and progressive groups that might make it impossible for the state legislature and the Democrats specifically to just rubber stamp whatever the bipartisan commission came up with. But I, like Bill, kind of thought that this was going to be sort of a let's just get out of here and forget about redistricting until 2030. Clearly, that was wrong. But I think what they ended up doing wasn't necessarily as big of a swing as people thought they might do once they did try to open the process up again. Right. And Bill, can you talk to some of those changes um, in the Democratic map versus the map that was submitted by the commission? There wasn't much, to be honest. Like the general theme of the maps that were released by the commission were basically working off of the maps drawn by the court a few years or two years ago and not making any drastic changes. Really, all the commission had done was they made the Syracuse area seat that's um, held by Republican Brendan Williams. They had added a couple of outlying towns, um, a couple of nearby places like Auburn and Cortland um, to the district, which made it um, a bit more Democratic friendly, which um, Democrats had certainly been hoping for. But not as Democratic friendly as they could have if they had added places like Ithaca. And there were mostly minor adjustments to other parts of the state where we saw a couple of districts get like 1% more Democratic, 1% more Republican, but nothing drastic. And the legislative maps pretty much worked off of those. They made some changes to some of the parts that were in um, some districts in the Hudson Valley. There were some relatively small tweaks in places like New York City and Long Island, but they were 95% the same in pretty much every corner of the state, at least, if not more. And some of them were identical to the maps drawn by the commission. So is it fair to say that Democrats learned from past mistakes when their map was um, shut down in previous years because there were, you know, just a perspective that it had been heavily gerrymandered? That was probably a part of it, where they probably did have a more favorable court system and a path to victory in the courts Mm -hmm. this time around than they would have a couple of years ago. Um, But this goes back to the idea that a lot of the legislatures didn't want this to drag out too much longer, um, and they didn't want this to turn into another year-long, two-year-long fight over this. And so I do think a big part of the motivation was that the legislature wanted to assert their prerogative to draw these lines in the future, saying that this is the legislature's power and this is not something that should be done by the courts or a bipartisan commission, that the legislature has final say. And the way this played out, where they drew these maps that some Republicans supported in the end, it's pretty un- it left it pretty clear that this is something that the legislature will have the right to handle as they see fit in the future. And I wanted to unpack the Court of Appeals and how that might have impacted the way things played out this year. We know that previously the Court of Appeals, un- they shut down the Democratic maps. Um, but then last year, and they kicked the responsibility um, to the IRC and a special master to produce the maps. But then last year, they came back and said, you know, there needs to be a new congressional map. So how did the change in the makeup of the Court of Appeals potentially impacted the way things played out this time. If you go back to the court battles from 2022, there were 13 judges who weighed in at various levels about the lines and what constitutes an illegal gerrymander. The one judge who gave the Democrats the most leniency in an opinion um, in terms of what they could do with the maps and saying they could basically, you know, coming close to saying that they could draw the maps as they wanted was Rowan Wilson, mm-hmm. who right. was an associate judge on the Court of Appeals at that time and wrote a, a dissenting opinion when the Court of Appeals ruled in favor of Republicans. But he is now, you know, chief judge of the state. Mm -hmm. He has tremendous sway over the court. And there's been another seat that swapped that probably would have been more Democratic friendly had this come up before. The Democrats also passed this law that said that the cases could only start in a handful of courts, all of which are in Democratic counties. So it would have been a much tougher path for Republicans to win a legal battle this time around. And what's interesting to me is the debate on the floor, the debate on the floor 
in the maps that were produced by the IRC, a lot of the Republicans were saying that Democrats were acting unconstitutionally. But then in the map that um, the Democrats produced, a lot of the Republicans voted with Democrats. So was this idea that Democrats were acting unconstitutional, just political fodder, or is it okay because the maps didn't change that much? Well, ironically, the reason that the legislature has the power to approve the maps as they want is because Republicans fought in 2012 mm -hmm. when this whole constitutional amendment creating the structure for redistricting that we have now is being debated. Andrew Cuomo had theoretically been pushing for a truly fully independent redistricting process where a commission could draw their own lines and do whatever mm -hmm. they want. But the Republicans who held control in the state Senate were nervous about what that could mean in a blue state. And they had fought against giving this commission too much power and basically led to this amendment that we have now that governs how this whole process works. that says the legislature shall have the power to vote on the final maps in the end and can change them if they want. And Dave, did we get any insight on when the legislator the legislature was kind of ideating over these maps? So both the Senate and Assembly Democratic leaders have been very coy about the process of actually writing these maps. The only thing that they will say in concrete terms is that they were finalized in the wake of the legislature right. rejecting the lines from the commission. But it's clear that these lines were not drawn up in a couple hours. This is something that the legislature and the Democratic leaders had been thinking about for at least days since the redistricting lines came out, more than a week earlier from the commission. The legislature has institutional staff uh, in this committee, this so-called LAT4 uh, task force that is has the capacity to, to work on this and clearly was working on this. Uh, if we're talking with lawmakers, they clearly had ideas about maps that, that were coming together. So uh, this was something that was in the works and then finalized uh, Monday uh, earlier this week. So from per from your purview, why are the Democrats in the legislature being coy on this issue? So I think they could be a little gun shy or at least were a, a little gun shy based on the idea that there might be a, a legal challenge and they didn't want to say something that could potentially be used uh, against them in, in a court case since the lines have been approved. And as you said, with some Republican support, we've heard from Republican leaders across the state that there won't be a, a legal challenge. That doesn't say that there won't be some from maybe a, a random Republican or conservative or just concerned citizen. But without a, a legal challenge, it kind of negates that necessary uh, coyness that I was mentioning okay. earlier, that mm -hmm. they're going to have these statements used against them in court. And I also think, though, there's the possibility that maybe the Assembly and Senate weren't necessarily on the same page as they were approaching redistricting. The Senate Democrats have traditionally, uh, since they took the majority, been a little more activist in, in, since 2019 compared to the Assembly Democrats. So maybe they weren't uh, lockstep with their Assembly colleagues, and maybe that's something they don't want to talk about because they want to appear like they're all marching to the same drum beat right now. Yeah. And I thought that was interesting. A lot of the, the high ranking Republicans came out and said, you know, we're not necessarily looking to sue. But is there an opportunity for an independent challenge um, in the courts? Well, the great thing about New York is that you can sue anybody for anything. <laughs> so anybody could bring a case that you have to decide whether they had standing to actually bring a case, whether they were an aggrieved party in some way. And like Bill mentioned earlier, you'd have to bring one of those cases through four uh, different courts that are all a little more friendly to Democrats than, say, a state Supreme Court judge out in Steuben County. So uh, it would be more of an uphill battle if someone did decide to bring a legislative, uh, sorry, a legal case in this matter. Yeah. And if you go back to the 2022 cases, there were two reasons the maps were struck down. One was because they didn't follow the process for drawing the maps themselves, which they seem to have corrected this time around. 
Two, there was, especially at the lower courts, the question of if it was a Democratic gerrymander. And we don't have perfect guidance from the courts as to how we determine if something is a gerrymander in New York. But one of the things that came up was, repeatedly was that there were no Republicans who voted in favor of the lines. And that's by itself could be seen as evidence of a gerrymander. This time, that's gone. We had, I believe, 15 total, 16 maybe total Republicans in the legislature vote for the line. So it wasn't unanimous support, but there was some bipartisan support there. And we know both parties are vying to gain control of the House of Representatives. Um, so how might this whole redistricting saga and um, congressional maps impact the way that voters are approaching the polls in November? So I think these maps need to be considered as favorable to Democrats. These seats, while maybe represented by Republicans in, say, the Hudson Valley and on Long Island, are seats that would have voted overwhelmingly for incumbent President Joe Biden in 2020. So I think Democrats need to feel pretty good about the starting position, even if they are running against Republican incumbents. And I think now we just need to watch and see what some of these Democratic candidates can do, what the national mood is like, because there are winnable uh, seats that uh, Democrats could flip uh, moving forward in the fall. Yeah, and it, New York has been the big battleground um, throughout the country mm -hmm. for this entire right. election cycle, in part because Democrats underperformed so much in 2022 compared to the rest of the country that there were seats they could have won and that they didn't that now seem like they ha might have a better chance in a presidential year. And particularly if you go to the Syracuse area, this Brendan Williams seat, that makes it even more um, likely that they'll have a path to winning this seat. It's not guaranteed, of course. We've seen them lose plenty of elections in that seat, in particular over the past decade, that they've started an election year saying that they're going to win. But it does give them an easier path in a couple of these battlegrounds. So is the redistricting saga finally over? We know that if these maps are, you know, if all goes well, they will be in place until 2032. And I know you guys don't have a crystal ball, but is it safe to say everything is fine and we won't have to revisit this until 2032? I think there's going to be a post-mortem and an evaluation specifically <laughs> mm -hmm. by good government groups who are going to push for a more independent process moving forward. And I don't know whether the legislature will decide to reopen this issue, but I will say that if they ever decide to uh, take a stab at changing the process in any meaningful way, it's going to include that final check that the legislature has in the current process. Democrats aren't going to give away that authority that they have to be the final say on the lines. So I wouldn't expect this process to be dramatically different in, in 2030-2032. And notably, though, the redistricting commission says it's not going away. We'll see if they actually have any funding in the budget that gets approved right. in a month. But um, commissioners have said they plan to stick around after this all wraps up and hold some hearings this spring to figure out how the process worked and to make recommendations for um, amending the process going forward. So. It probably is something we'll talk about, at least to a degree, the remainder of even this year. And before we know it, we'll be appointing the 2032 um, Commission in just about five years, 10 months, and 29 days. Well, we'll have to keep watch, but unfortunately, we have to leave it here for now. Thank you both for being here. Thank you. And we were speaking with David Lombardo of the Capitol Press Room and Bill Mahoney of Politico. And we'll continue to bring you the latest on redistricting and congressional races right here on the show and online on our website. That's at nynow.org. Now turning to another topic. Total enrollment at the state's public universities has increased for the first time in a decade. But as budget negotiations are underway, there are major funding concerns. Legislators are looking for ways to increase funding to SUNY and CUNY schools and expand the state's tuition assistance program. Producer Katherine Rafferty spoke with education stakeholders about the issue. Here's that story. 
The Tuition Assistance Program, or TAP, is administered by the state's Higher Education Services Corporation, HESC. HESC processes more than half a million grant scholarships and loan forgiveness applications each year, awarding nearly $1 billion in financial aid to more than 330,000 students. In 2022, TAP supported nearly 40% of full-time SUNY undergraduates. Of those students that received TAP support, 19% received the maximum TAP award. TAP grants benefit students and can open the door to higher education for students who otherwise couldn't afford tuition. But the cost of higher ed, like a lot of things, are going up. Until 2011, New York would increase the maximum TAP award to match the state's SUNY and CUNY tuition rates. Currently, the maximum TAP award is just over $5,000, while SUNY tuition can cost up to $7,000. For the first time in a decade, SUNY's total enrollment increased from fall 2022 to fall 2023, reflecting a 1.1% gain. In January, SUNY released a report on long-term enrollment and financial stability. SUNY Chancellor John King says that more revenue will be needed to sustain the system. Salaries will go up each year. Uh, the costs of goods and services will go up each year. And so, you know, if, if nothing changes 10 years out, we'd have a billion-dollar deficit. There are really two solutions to that. Increasing state support uh, or tuition increases. And on either side, they would be modest increases, either in state support or in tuition, but we've got to have additional revenue to close that billion dollar gap in order to provide great services for our students. We've got a full range of opportunities for students, but each campus over time may not be able to offer every program, uh, but we want all programs to be available to students across all of our campuses. And of course, campuses also need to continually adjust. In January, the state's legislature's higher education committees launched a turn on the TAP campaign, introducing a series of bills to fund and expand the program. These bills include goals to raise the minimum TAP award to $1,000, raise the income cap for eligibility, and increase overall funding for TAP while expanding the definition of eligible students. Assemblymember Patricia Fahey and Senator Tobian Stavisky serve as chairs for their chamber's higher education committees. They say TAP no longer fulfills its mission of helping lower and middle class students with college expenses. We want to make college affordable, and we've got to make it affordable for the middle class as well as those with low incomes. And by the way, TAP the tuition assistance program. It was launched 50 years ago. It has not, the income eligibility for it has not been raised in almost 25 years. If we can increase TAP, if we can tell families, we have your back, we're going to at least cover tuition. I'd love to cover more of the fees, but we've got to show them that college is affordable. We've got to keep it affordable and worthwhile to get those degrees. 
Senator Tobian Stavisky says the legislature needs to make these changes to help financial distress at SUNY and CUNY campuses. Last year, some SUNY campuses announced cutbacks due to deficits they were facing, a longstanding trend in declining enrollment and declining birth rate. Last year, there were 19 distressed colleges and universities at SUNY. I understand this year the number is down to 18. Uh, CUNY has additional problems, the City University of New York. There are nine colleges where um, they are in financial distress, and we've got to make sure that they take measures and that we help them, that we work together, that we make TAP uh, and the other aids more relevant to reducing their, their problems. The package of bills has bipartisan support. Republicans on the Higher Education Committee are on board with the idea of updating TAP. Assemblymember Ed Ra, a Republican on the Higher Education Committee, says legislators are pushing for other measures to help higher education in this year's budget. On the private side, capital, um, there, there are cuts uh, with regard to aid to our private colleges. Um, there is, uh, on the SUNY side, um, community colleges, I think they need support. They're particularly struggling with declining enrollment, but they also just have never gotten uh, commensurate funding to what the four-year colleges get. Last year, the state Senate and Assembly rejected Governor Kathy Hochul's controversial tuition hike proposal for SUNY and CUNY campuses. This year, several lawmakers are hoping increases in TAP and operating aid will continue to boost enrollment and sustain the SUNY system in the long run. The governor's fiscal year 25 executive budget builds on last year's historic $163 million increase in operating aid. Aid, providing an additional $54 million increase for state-operated campuses. Also last year, Governor Kathy Hochul and the legislature created the part-time TAP program, further expanding TAP to include micro-credentials and non-degree workforce programs. SUNY Chancellor John King says the state should update TAP to keep pace with inflation. We really have to adjust those thresholds to match current times. Uh, we also need to, to continue to grow uh, the TAP for workforce programs. That's, that's a real area of strength for SUNY and an opportunity uh, for us to help people um, you know, achieve real social mobility. Advocates for Turn on the Tap hope that by increasing aid for students, enrollment will grow, which will lead to more financial stability for higher education in New York. The relationship between aid, tuition, and enrollment is a balancing act that lawmakers hope to get right. For Andrew Perry, a senior analyst at the Nonpartisan Fiscal Policy Institute, long-term financial stability for higher ed will also require policymakers to provide aid to colleges and universities themselves and not just students. Aid for the state, for, for SUNY, direct state support for SUNY campuses was cut during the Great Recession uh, quite a bit and never fully restored. Our group, the Fiscal Policy Institute, did a, an analysis of the tuition hikes that were proposed last year, and we found that you know they were actually 
the, the, the proposed tuition hikes were quite steep. We think this is really the wrong way to close these SUNY op, uh, operating gaps is really what we would like to see is the state restore some of the direct funding for campuses that it historically provided. The state faces a $4.3 billion budget gap, and many stakeholders are looking to the governor and the legislature to close the gap. SUNY Chancellor John King is hoping the legislature can secure more funding for SUNY in the coming years. We're extraordinarily grateful to Governor Hochul and our legislative champions for the investment last year in SUNY, $163 million in operating aid, the largest operating aid increase for SUNY in 20 plus years. And last year, the governor and legislature committed to $54 million this year in additional support, as well as next year in additional support. So that that was great news for SUNY, a really important step forward for investment in public higher education. Um, But I will say one of our challenges in, in this moment is we just completed a new contract with UP, our major faculty union. Uh, well-deserved raises uh, that we want to provide, a fiscally responsible contract, but it will cost us about $86 million. And so uh, we are hopeful that as the budget process moves forward, uh, the governor and legislature will be able to help us uh, to cover those costs as well. Perry says this is attainable given the currently projected gaps in the budget for the next year. The projected gaps after next year um, are actually very small by historic standards. So we think the state is on pretty solid ground uh, fiscally for the for the for the coming years. And it's also worth noting that the current deficit faced by SUNY campuses that have deficits is one hundred and thirty nine million dollars. And that's against a $125 billion state funds budget. We really think that restoring some financial stability to to SUNY is actually a very manageable ask. And it it sort of merits being a, a top priority for the state. 15 TAP-related bills are currently sitting in either the Senate or Assembly's Higher Education Committees. We'll keep you updated on the progress of these bills and higher education funding right here on the show. You can also visit our website. Again, that's at nynow.org. Now that does it for this episode of New York Now. Thank you for tuning in and see you next week. Funding for New York Now is provided by WNET.